Well, hello again. Welcome to The Painful Truth. I'm Tony Payne. Nice to be with you again. And it has been a few weeks, as many of you know. That's because I was struck down with the dreaded COVID several weeks ago, and it's taken me a little while to get over it, I have to say. Uh, It seems that some people, like my wife, who also got it, uh, are pretty mildly affected and have a bit of a headache and feel a bit weak and kind of uh, are better again within four or five days. Uh, it lingered on quite a lot longer for me, and uh, maybe there's a kind of a man flu aspect of this, I'm not sure, but many of the other men that I've spoken to who've contracted COVID have said much the same thing, interestingly, uh, that it's affected them quite significantly, and it's taken them quite a while to really recover uh, their full uh, energy and health. And I'm kind of most of the way there. You probably hear in my voice from time to time uh, during this podcast that I'm still a little bit hoarse and a bit coffee, but um, otherwise, in God's kindness, I'm feeling much better. And many thanks to many of you who sent me kind messages and prayed for me and for my family uh, during our recent bout with illness. We all went away on a big family holiday together in late January. Uh, all 19 of us, that's my kids and their partners and wives and grandkids and all the others. And um, of the 19 of us who went away, we had a lovely time, a terrific family time together. But on the last day, we all started going down like flies. And 18 of the 19 of us uh, ended up testing positive for COVID. So um, we've had it and done it. But as the new year really gets underway ministry-wise, that is if you're in my part of the world, if you're listening in the U.S., you're wondering what on earth I'm talking about. But in Australia and in other similar parts of the world, February, the first week of February, is really the time when the year kicks off ministry-wise, when small groups get underway, when church programs begin, and when the whole thing starts to really ramp up again. And I thought that this week, as a bit of a break from the Two Ways to Live evangelistic book, which I've been sending out chapter by chapter, I'd write something about small groups, since small groups are kind of getting up and running again for a, a new year. I'll get back to the Two Ways to Live book next week. I have the next section pretty much ready to go, and I'll send that out. And I think I'll probably send that out to the whole list. Uh, this is a one of the free public editions of The Painful Truth. And I think I'll send out part two of chapter four of the Two Ways to Live book to the whole list as well next week, since I haven't been in touch much recently. But to the subject of small groups and making the best of our small groups and being a good small group member. And of course, if you'd like to share this post around with those in small groups in your church, if you think that'd be useful, please feel very free to do that. You can just share this episode with them in audio form, or you can go across to the website and share the link to the post, to the actual article as well. Well, small groups. I was originally thinking that what I should do is write a little piece called How to Be a Small Group Member. We sometimes write things about and talk about how to lead small groups and so on. But what about being a member of a small group? Is there something useful that could be said about how to be a good small group member? But then I thought better of that title because I remembered something from a management businessy kind of book that I once read in a moment of weakness several years ago. It was called Start With Why. Some of you might have seen this. It's by Simon Sinek. And I can save you the trouble of wading through its, well, it's about 250 pages of case studies and personal stories and general padding out and fluff, by summarising the one really short, helpful point that it makes that could probably have been made in about two pages. Cynic's point is simply that it's wisest 
to start by asking why you're doing something before you move on to ask how you're going to do it. And then in turn, what exactly you're going to do next. This is a very obvious thought, but it's like most obvious thoughts, a really useful one. And so rather than asking how to be a small group member, how to be a better small group member and how to function better in our small groups, let's start with why. Let's start with the question, why belong to a small group at church? Now, three common answers to this question immediately spring to mind. The first is because that's what Christians simply do. Christians go to small groups like tradies go to the pub. It's what we've always done, except, of course, that it's not. For most of the last 2,000 years of Christian history, we haven't gone to small groups. Small groups, as we know them, are quite a recent thing. They didn't really exist in any significant way, certainly in the way that we know them, before about 50 years ago. So that's one maybe not brilliant reason, because that's what Christians have always done. A second reason we often go to small groups is because it's the expectations set by our churches in many churches today to be a good true blue member in good standing you're supposed to come regularly on sunday to church support the church financially give money and go to a small group and those three little litmus tests i suppose are not a bad rule of thumb by which to recognize someone's commitment to the church fellowship but is that really an adequate reason for going to small groups? Is that a good enough why for small groups? Because I kind of have to in order to belong to the club. Well, what about a third common reason? Perhaps the reason for going to small groups is because it's a great way to get to know people and get connected and feel part of the church community. Now, this immediately feels better. And at least it has a bit of kind of relational zip to it. It is indeed quite difficult in a church of even a moderate size to get to know people and to really connect with them, especially if the level of your interaction is limited to a quick chat over a cup of tea on Sunday morning. And small groups can certainly help with that, and they usually do in some way. Even so, I'm not sure any of these reasons are really sufficient. Are they going to motivate us consistently to drag ourselves out the door every week at 7.30pm at the end of a long day to engage in chit-chat with a bunch of other similarly tired people? Are these sufficient reasons for belonging to a small group and would they then drive us to figure out how we should belong to small groups? I suspect not. Not to mention the fact that we still haven't said anything related to, you know, God. Does God have a why for us to join small groups and be part of them? Well, I think he does, as it turns out. The reason that God gathers us together in Christian communities is not just so that we can get to know people and connect with them or feel the warmth of being part of a, a like-minded group of people. God gathers us for a particular specific purpose. He has a specific why for our fellowship. And there are many places in the Bible that we see this, but one of the clearest and one of the ones I've always appreciated most is in Colossians 3. It's an extraordinary chapter, Colossians 3. You can get a great deal of Christian theology out of Colossians 3. And it starts, this extraordinary chapter, by summarizing the foundation and essence of the Christian life. Paul says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is your life, appears, 
then you also will appear with him in glory. The new life that we have as Christians is summed up in just one word in these verses, and that is Christ. Our life is Christ. We've died with him. We've been raised with him. We're united with him in his death and resurrection. His life is our life. And the rest of the chapter is about living that life, living in light of that stunning truth. That is, killing off every vestige of our old life, our old fleshly life of anger and lies and malice and all of that sort of thing, and clothing ourselves instead in the new life, the new Christ life that we've been given, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, as Paul says in verse 10. Now, the punchline of the whole section is in verse 17. Since our life could be summarized in one word, it's Christ, then everything we do, every word, every deed, should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, says Paul, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what does this have to do with why God gathers us into Christian communities, including the little communities we call small groups? Well, it has everything to do with what our small group's about, with what Christian community is about. And this is spelled out especially in verses 12 to 16. This new life, which equals Christ, is essentially and unavoidably a corporate life, a team life. It's something that we do together as God's chosen and beloved people. Here's what Paul says in verses 12 to 16. I'll read you this whole section. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now you've probably read that paragraph before, it's a very rich one, but three things in particular stand out. The first one is that our team life is complicated by the fact that we still have these fleshly, sinful vestiges of our old selves hanging around. It's why there's this constant need for humility and patience and bearing with one another and forbearing and putting up with each other and forgiving each other. We all have some growing to do, in other words. The Christian life is a life of change, of putting off the old life and putting on the new. And this is really of the essence of our Christian communities. We all have growing to do in our Christian communities. The second theme in this little passage is that the overarching characteristic of our community is love. Love is the kind of outer garment that you throw on over everything, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And this is hardly surprising, that love is the, the centre or the capstone of Christian character, because Christian life and Christian character is lived in the name of Christ. Our life equals Christ. And what better summary is there of who Christ was and what Christ's character was than love? He loved us. 
and gave himself for us. And so thirdly, our task, our challenge, in love and with much patience and kindness and forbearance, is to increase the rich presence of Christ among us by his word, by speaking the word of Christ to each other. We're to let the word of Christ dwell richly among us as we speak it to one another. Because the word of Christ is what grows us and changes us to be like Christ. It drives us to put off the old life and put on the new. And the more that the word of Christ permeates our lives, the more that everything we do in our lives, every word, every deed, will be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so the reason God calls us together in community is so that the word of Christ can dwell richly in our midst and grow us to be like him in compassion and kindness and patience and love. And how does the word of Christ dwell richly among us and grow us and change us to be like him? As we speak it to one another. Now, the passage does mention a number of ways that we can speak the word of God to each other. It speaks of teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom and of singing and of giving thanks. But we could easily flesh those terms out with other similar kind of speaking verbs like reminding or encouraging or exhorting or discussing or chewing over or asking the kind of dumb but obvious question that helps everybody. Whatever kind of speech it is, the content is the word of Christ. And the purpose is to allow that word of Christ to dwell richly among us, to be present among us in all kinds of different ways, so that we can grow to be like the Christ who is our life. Now, there's a reason that gets me out the door on Wednesday nights, I have to say. There's a why for our small groups that's worth getting excited about. Small groups aren't about helping me feel part of things or helping me to connect with people or even expressing my commitment to church, as good as all these things are. In fact, small groups are not really about me at all. The reason to go to a small group is that God has called me to love you and to be an agent of your growth in Christ. I go to that group on Wednesday nights because you need me to be present there to speak the word of Christ to you and because I need to hear it from you as well. Now, the how of belonging to a small group flows out of this why. And in one sense, it's not terribly hard to figure out. Once you have this why, the how kind of flows straight on. It would include things, I guess, like this. Turning up every week. It's very hard to speak the word of Christ to each other if we're not there. And unless there's some other important reason, we should make sure that we're there at small groups each week so that we can speak the word of God to each other. Because is there really anything more important in life than the job that God has given to build one another up and share the word of Christ with each other in a small group? Secondly, we should not only turn up, but we should come ready to speak, to speak in love. There's all the sorts of ways we can prepare to do this. We could read and prepare the passage in advance if that helps us. Some of us feel more confident to speak if we've thought a bit about what we want to say beforehand. And if that's you, 
take a little bit of time to read and pray over the passage before you arrive at the group. But whether or not you feel the need for that kind of preparation, the important thing is to take the initiative to speak in any way that you can to help others understand and apply the word of Christ to their lives, the particular passage that you're looking at on this particular week. Ask questions. Answer questions. Grapple hard with the text in front of you. Share what you see there. Look out for people who were just about to speak but got cut off and invite them to contribute. Open up about your own struggles to put the word into practice, your own sins and failures. There are lots of opportunities, scads of them, to allow the word to dwell richly in your group. And that's our task as a group, to speak the word to each other in all kinds of ways, to explore it and unfold it and to allow it to dwell richly in our midst so that it changes us. Now, this why of small group life not only generates things that we can do and should do, but it also generates a long list of things not to do. And personally, I find this quite easy to compile. I just have to think back over my own career in small groups, especially as a younger Christian, and over the many thoughtless and self-centered kind of things that I've done in small groups over the years. For example, don't sit on your hands during the discussion. Don't hold back. Don't try to save face or protect yourself. Don't leave the conversation to other people. On the other hand, don't jump on your hobby horses when they pass by. Or don't stick tenaciously to the point you're wanting to make in the face of overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Don't speak in order to make yourself look good. Don't tell stories in which you're the hero. Don't give the lazy pat answer about the passage that you could have given without even looking at the text. Don't take the group off to some other interesting passage that you're really fascinated by, unless it's important for understanding this passage that you're actually reading. And don't be afraid to open up and be truthful and honest about your own sins and struggles. Now, I'll leave you to figure out your own specific list of how to be a small group member, of what this means for you in practice, because it will look a bit different for every person in every group and circumstance. But if you can grasp why God wants you to go to the small group this Wednesday night, then figuring out how is not so difficult. At least it's not difficult to understand. To do it consistently and lovingly, well, that is a bit more of a challenge. But that's the challenge that the Word of Christ brings us as we start a new year of small group life together. Well, there are some thoughts about the basic nature of small groups, about why we have them, and therefore about the kind of culture we want to create in our small groups, what it means to be a member of a small group. I think, in my experience of many years of small group life, I don't think many small group members come to the small group on Wednesday night thinking that it's their role and place to be sharing and speaking the word of Christ for the benefit of the other people in the group. I'm not sure that's a common why or a common reason that's in the minds and hearts of the people who come. But it's the essential reason that we belong to Christian communities together. God calls us together by his spirit because we belong together. We're a family. We're a team. And the thing that we do together, certainly this side of glory, as we need to grow to be like Christ and put off 
the sinful desires and practices of the flesh, is to encourage and exhort and teach each other. That's why we have preaching and teaching on Sunday mornings at church. And that's also why we speak the word of Christ to each other in all kinds of different ways. And that's particularly, it seems to me, the place of the small group. It's the time when we can speak with one another about the word of Christ in a way that on Sunday mornings as part of a larger congregation, it's just not as easy to do. Well, I hope you do find that useful. And as I said, please feel very free to share these thoughts around with anyone in the congregation that you think uh, it would be helpful to share them with. Well, that's about it from me this week. Next week, I'll be back with the next section of the Two Ways to Live Evangelistic book. We're on the home stretch there. We're up to part two of chapter four, which is about the death of Jesus. So that's great always to talk about and think about. Stay tuned for that next week on The Painful Truth. In the meantime, thanks for being here once again. And do get in touch and share your thoughts and comments. Also, if you have any questions about what I just said about small groups or about anything else to do with Christian life and ministry, feel free to, to zip them in. I'm going to have a, a Q&A session in just a couple of weeks' time, so send in your questions and I'll deal with them then. Well, thanks once again for being here. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.